Scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. That's the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. You'll see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. These are the words of God. Be seated. Well, if I were to ask you, if if I were to ask you, what is... What is the distinguishing difference between Christianity and all other religions or world philosophies? What would you say? If I were to say, what is the distinguishing difference between Christianity and every single other world religion, every single other life philosophy, what what would your answer be? How would you boil down the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other philosophy, and every, everybody has some sort of philosophy about life. Well, what, what separates Christianity from, from that? And how does that difference, how does that difference change things? Does it change things? And, and, and why would it? Now, here's, here's the answer. Here's the distinguishing difference between Christianity and all other religions and all other life philosophies, and it should be obvious, but I just want to state it because I think we miss it sometimes. The difference between Christianity and everything else is that Christianity and Judaism before it, but Christianity is about the one true living almighty creator God. It starts with him. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with our philosophy about life. It doesn't start with our needs or our wants or what we think how things should be. It starts with him, the one, the one. The one true almighty creator God. Because here's the truth. If he exists, if there is one God and he is the true almighty living creator God, then that changes everything. It recenters, it reappropriates everything else. It starts with him, and it's about how he, the one true living almighty creator God, it's about how he interacts 
with the humanity that was made in his image. That's what Christianity is about. That's what, it sets, that's what sets it apart from everything else. It's about the only one true living almighty creator God and how he, that one true God, how he interacts with the humanity that have been made in his image. Now, like I said, that may seem obvious, but the ramifications of it are huge. Christianity isn't like other religions and other life philosophies. It's not saying, you know, you should try to be a better person so you can get a better life. That's what other life philosophies, other world religions say. I, I should tr- you should try to be a better person. I should try to be a better person so that I can get a better life. Though sometimes Christianity gets spun around and it comes across like that, doesn't it? Hey, hey, if you just live a better life, then you can get a better life. See how worth Christianity is? See how good morality is? If you do the right things, better things happen to you. That's what sometimes comes across as the message of Christianity, though that's not the message. It is the message of other religions and other life philosophies. The Christianity is not saying you should try to do a lot of better things so you can be a happier person. Christianity isn't saying that you should work hard so you can have a better life in the next world or the world that is to come. Because you see, Christianity doesn't start with us. It starts with God. In the beginning, what? God. It starts with him. Any meaning, any life, anything else comes from him. The almighty creator God, before you and I were, he was. No matter how important it might feel and how tight making your rent this week is going to be, you know what, before you had rents, you know what, God was. You might be worrying about the economy or the stock market or this, your status, whether you're single or not, but you know what, before the stock market was, you know what was, God was. Before America existed, you know what was? God was. Before the world existed, before the world system, before the economy existed, you know what existed? God did. You know who will exist a million years from now? God will. You know who will not change because some leader decides to take power and some leader is put down or the stock market crashes this week? You know what won't change? He won't. He is the almighty creator God. And that God not only created us, but here's the message of Christianity. He came to us. That's what sets it apart. The almighty creator God who is unchangeable and (laughs) does not, his existence is not rocked by the things that rock our world and rock our country and rock our society. He came to us. He interacted with man. That's the message of Christianity. That God came and interacted with man. He made a covenant with Abraham. He he called him his friend. He saved Abraham's descendants from slavery. He came and interacted with man, the almighty creator God. He made them his chosen people. He put his presence among them, though behind a veil, in the tabernacle and then in the the temple. Not approachable, but yet there, there in their midst, his presence was there. 
He interacted and dealt with them through the centuries. And then, then at the proper, the right, the fullness of time, he took on flesh. Think about that. I know this is church and it's Christianity and we're always talking about Jesus. And that's, you know, this is sort of an obvious, like, Randy, this, this headline is not a headline. This, we talk about this every week. Think about that. The almighty creator God, he took on flesh. He became a man. He came to us. He tabernacled or dwelt among us. God himself, he dwelt among men. And he did so not only to visit, but to bring, he didn't come just to visit us, but he came to bring us back to himself. He came to die, yes. Jesus Christ came to die. But that death had great meaning and great power. The death of Christ meant that he wanted us. I want you to hear that this morning. When you look at the cross over here beside me, know that this, that it means that God came to us, dwelt among us, became man because he wanted you. He wanted me in our sin and in our shame, he wanted us. In our rebellion, he wanted us. He still wanted us and he wants you. He wanted you. But that death didn't just have great meaning. That death had great power. The sacrifice of Jesus, the God-man, was sufficient. It was powerful enough for him to take on our sin and our shame, and it was powerful enough for him to exchange our sin and our shame for his righteousness before the Father. He came to us. How glorious is that? Do you want to know? Maybe you're here and you're kind of wondering about Christianity. And have you ever, have you ever wondered, like, why do Christians sing so much? Why do they sing? Do you know why we sing? We sing because of that. Because God wanted us, and He wanted us so much that He came and took on flesh, and He exchanged His righteousness for our sin. He took our shame. Our sin is forgiven. Our shame is covered. Our guilt is removed because God, God himself, came to us and he saved us. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion and every other life philosophy. It's the reality that God, the one true almighty creator God, interacts with us, and he did so by entering, uh, entering into our reality in Jesus Christ. But that is still only part of the story. That's only part of the story, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Christianity isn't just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. As world-shattering as that was, 
We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. As world-shattering as the incarnation was, as world-shattering as the crucifixion was, as world-shattering as that was, Christianity is not just about, though that is amazing enough to sing forever about. The angels sing and wonder about the lamb who was slain. But it's not just about what happened 2,000 years ago. Christianity isn't about just that God came, but it's about that God is here. There. There. That's the heart of what sets it apart. Now, Now we're on it. It's not just what sets Christianity apart. It's what sets Christians apart. Have you seen those old license plates or bumper stickers or cheesy Facebook memes that moms put on there? But um, that was funny, but you guys didn't get it. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Have you seen those? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I, I used to see those and not, we kind of shrug and like, Hey, no offense if you have that on your car or you posted that meme. Hey, that's totally, it is true. But let's, 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 I want to pick at that for, statement for just a second. I, I read it, I kind of shrug and they're like, is that it? Like, Christ, hey, don't worry about it. Christians aren't different from anybody else. We just happen to have our bad deeds forgiven. I think the world looks at that too and kind of shrugs and like, okay, Hey, Christians say that they're forgiven from being such terrible, closed-minded, mean people. Okay, everybody, go back to what you're doing. And that's because Jesus coming and dying and rising again as absolutely amazing and world-shattering as that is, and it is amazing. I can sing right now just thinking about it. I won't, because as my daughter said this weekend, somebody asked about my singing. She said it rated a three out of ten. But I sing passionately. Yet, just like the character of God, our salvation has goodness piled on top of goodness. God didn't just come, die, and leave, and promise to come again. He didn't just come and tabernacle or dwell among us. He didn't just come and die for us. He came to dwell in us. He came to live within us. I see the the way that you guys are looking right now, and I can see, man, you guys might believe that, but I don't know if you really understand what that means. God is present and active in and through his people through the Holy Spirit and he is actively communicating with us, actively leading us and my question to you today though is do you live like that's the reality? That's really where I want to plant a flag this morning. I want you to ask this question if you're a believer in Christ today if that's true If that's true, 
That Christ didn't just come and die and leave and say, I'll catch you again on the flippity flip. I'll be back and things will get better on the other side. He came and he, then he sent his Holy Spirit, God himself, to dwell in us and among us to be with us and in us, to communicate with us, to have union with us, to make us one with him. And my question is, do you believe or do you live like that's a reality? You who have been indwelt by the God's Holy Spirit, do you live like that is a reality? It is objectively true. I wanna approach it this way. It is objectively true that God lives in us and among us through his Holy Spirit. It's not subjectively true. It's not just, oh, I I think I feel something every now and then. I don't know if that's goosebumps or the air conditions came on or the the, the music hit just right. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, objectively has come to dwell in and among us as believers. It is as objectively true as the fact that he became a man through Jesus Christ, physically died on a cross, and physically rose again. If you are a Christian, you believe that that is objectively true. It's historically true. It's factually correct. Jesus Christ was a real man, born of a virgin, 100% God, 100% man. He died a substitutionary death upon the cross. He was physically placed in the grave, dead, pierced through, dead, dead, very dead. And yet on the third day, he rose again, appeared to hundreds of people, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits now making intercession for us. We believe as Christians that is objectively true. And just as objectively factually, historically true as that is, whenever he ascended on high, he poured out his spirit upon the believers, and every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He dwells in us and among us. Do you live like that's a reality? Or does it shock you what Jesus said in verse 7 that we just read? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your benefit or your advantage that I go away. It's, it's, It's for your good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. That's the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus said it was for our benefit that he returns to the Father because he would send the Holy Spirit and that would revolutionize everything. It was Jesus' great aim. It was his in-game result for his coming and his death and his resurrection. His in-game desire wasn't just so that we would be forgiven, though that is amazing in itself. Don't, I'm not throwing that away. That is amazing. We are justified by faith. That is a tentpole or the tentpole of our faith. But the other tentpole is, and now we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That was his aim. So we would be justified by faith, forgiven of our sins, so that what? So that he could dwell within us. So that we would be united to him, that we would be made one with God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, through his indwelling. 
That's how important the sending of the Holy Spirit was to Jesus. It was so that God could be in and with his people. It was so that God could be one with his people. Yet, when it comes to the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, most American Christians are either ignorant and neglectful or superstitious and misrepresent him. Some people believe in the Holy Spirit, but if we're honest, and I'm not casting stones here, I've been in this seat as well, but if we're honest, we sort of view him, some, some of us, like as sort of a stagehand at a play, right? Like the, the stagehand, they're, they're in the background, they're unseen and noticed, but doing stuff. And so we just kind of say, hey, we kind of view like the Holy Spirit, yeah, he's real, but he's sort of like in the background over there, moving stuff around and doing stuff. He's, he's unseen and unnoticed, and we don't really know what he's up to and what he's doing. And because of that, many Christians live in this sort of, this surreal world, one where the reality of the spiritual, like we acknowledge that. Yeah, the, there is a Holy Spirit. It's acknowledged, but we don't live in congruence with that reality. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, now other people treat the Holy Spirit as sort of like, a, like the force in Star Wars. Like he's some sort of energy or power that we have to learn how to, to channel. As if we can like just sort of channel the energy and power of this Holy Spirit thing, this force to make certain things happen. People sometimes can think and refer to the Holy Spirit as if he's arbitrary and and subjective. And he's hard to to, to talk about someone who's, who's not seen. And so... And it kind of frustrates me. I'm more of a logic kind of guy, a logic kind of girl, and that, that kind of touchy-feely stuff, that kind of spiritual stuff. I'm not really comfortable with the concept. It's too arbitrary. It's too subjective. And so they kind of end up referring to him as sort of like he's a, a concept or an energy as well. To them, the, the subject of the Holy Spirit, maybe it's to you, that can be frustrating. They want a more concrete faith. To them, to you, if that's you, what's, what's viewed as real is what is seen. That's what's real. And now we're getting to the root of the problem. See, we as Christians, we as a church, we've been overtaken by worldly reason. We've been overtaken by worldly reason And as a result, many of us are actually superstitious, or I'm sorry, suspicious of the Holy Spirit. We're really suspicious about the Holy Spirit and his work. When anybody talks about hearing from God or him doing something, our our initial result is suspicious. We're we're suspicious of that. It's suspicious. And what that is really rooted in I'm not saying we should have, not have healthy skepticism. But suspicion about the Holy Spirit is really rooted in doubt and disbelief towards God. 
That's really the problem. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's not just that he's subjective and seems arbitrary. It's because at our core, many of us in this room, we really wrestle with the concept of is God really, really involved in this world? Is how much does he actually care about me? Just how powerful is he? These are the things that we deal with. Do those questions haunt your mind and heart? They have for me. But they have for you too. You're not alone in that. It's been the whisper of the enemy since the very beginning in the garden. Does he actually love me? Does he actually care about me? Will he actually do anything for me? Will he actually keep me? Am I really safe with him? If I fully rely upon him, will he actually catch me? See, the enemy, he's so clever and crafty. He's still the serpent who comes in. He asks us these questions. Is is he really real? Is he really powerful? Does he really care? Is he really that loving? Is he really that capable? Does he really have your back? Because you can't see the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's way far in the background. Maybe it's kind of made up. Maybe you can't trust him. That's, that's it. Maybe you can't trust him. But that is, by the enemy, a total misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit. It's a total misrepresentation of God because though he is unseen, he is more real than anything that we see and that we touch. He is more real than us. Remember, before we existed, who existed? After this world burns up, who will still exist? He is the ultimate reality. And I don't mean in some philosophical way, I mean in true reality. And that is what Jesus is telling us, is that his Holy Spirit comes and engages us as humanity. He engages the physical world. He brings God to us, and he brings us to God. That's the beauty and miracle of the Holy Spirit. The role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to come and make God to our deadness, to our rebellion, to our sin and our shame, to the whispered mind that the whispers have come to us. He's not really real. He doesn't really care. He's not really powerful enough. He's not really going to hold me if I give myself totally to him. He comes and he makes and reveals the love of God in Christ real to our hearts and minds. He convicts us, exposes him to us. He makes him real to us. He exposes to us true reality in our reality. And that's why it's to our benefit that Jesus left. Because it's then he could send the Holy Spirit. It's better for us. Because listen, think about this. Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He showed showed us what God looked like. He showed us who he was. But look at how 
stuck in our darkness we were. Think of how deep in our rebellion and sin we were, how blinded we were by the God of this world. When, human, when God showed up to humanity, what did we want? We wanted nothing to do with him. We ignored, rejected, and mocked him. His very people, the Jewish nation, even those that did follow him, whenever he, whenever he stopped turning one lunch into a feast for everybody and he said something they didn't understand or disagreed with, they left. Even his own disciples, when the chips were down, they turned and ran. They wanted to fight for a cause, but not die for him. They abandoned him at the very crucial moment. Jesus, the Son of God, was left alone on the cross. bearing our sin, suffering under its weight, the Father turning his face away. He bore our sin and our sorrow. The Son of God was killed, and everybody just went home for dinner. Think about that. The Son of God was killed on the hill outside Jerusalem, and everybody, everybody said, well, let's go home and eat some dinner now. What changed that? Jesus was in their midst, but they didn't receive him. He preached to them. He did miracles for them, that yet they didn't believe. His own disciples, it says that he, whenever he was uh, on the mountain and whenever he's going up to heaven, it says they, they still, on the side of the mountain, they sat there doubting. What changed it? You know what changed it? The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the gift of his Holy Spirit. Jesus sent it, and he sent his Holy Spirit. And whenever he poured out his Holy Spirit, he, he revealed to human beings in a, our soul of souls the reality of who Jesus was and what he had done for us. Nobody believed until he poured out his Holy Spirit upon them, and all of a sudden... Boom, they believed. All of a sudden, boom, Peter preaches a simple sermon and thousands come to him. They give up, they sell their property and all they own. They stop calling what they own as their own and they care for each other. They care for the sick and they saw God healing and doing miracles in their midst. All of a sudden, they believed they were willing to die for him. Why? What changed? The Holy Spirit came and revealed the reality of who Jesus was, of who God was, of who we were to their heart and to their soul. The Holy Spirit is not some nebulous, subjective energy that some emotional, illogical people claim to experience. He is the ultimate reality, the almighty creator God interacting with man by bringing new creation to our hearts and to our minds. And this Holy Spirit, sent to us by the Father and the Son, who Jesus called the promise of the Holy Spirit, is our helper, believer, our advocate, our comforter. He is our leader. He is our guide. He is our teacher. He doesn't just dwell in heaven. He dwells among us, and he dwells within us as believers. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will send him to you and he will be in you and with you forever. You can never be separated from the love of God. Why? Because of your ability to believe? Because of your ability to personally to stand strong? 
No, because he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you so you could not fall away because whenever you get to the edge and you want to go, the Holy Spirit was within you to teach you and to lead you and guide you and pull you back. Salvation is of Jesus Christ from the cross, what he has done for us. And salvation is because of he is, we are kept and held in him and remain faithful because he is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said he will be in you. John 14, 17. And he said this, and we'll talk about this next week. He said he will be not only in you, but you will be baptized in him so that you will have his power. The power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just dwell within you personally, but his power, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, dwells within you and he desires to move through you in a way that is greater than you, above you, above me, above us, above what anybody can imagine to convict people and show them the reality of who he is and call them back home, to demonstrate the kingdom in our midst, to demonstrate the miraculous power of Christ in our midst. Do you live like the third person of the Godhead dwells in you. Do you experience the reality of God's presence in you and among us? If you don't, here's where we stand. We stand for, for you to admit your doubts, your disbelief, the lies that you have believed about God and about yourself. And the enemy has whispered to you. To recognize those and to repent of those. And to say, God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Baptize me afresh in your Holy Spirit that I might experience the life the spiritual life, the reality that you have, are dwelling in me, that you are communicating with me, that you are among us as a people. Baptize me in your power that I might serve under your power and your strength. Pour your spirit out upon us, God, that you might demonstrate the kingdom of Jesus Christ in our midst, that you might make him real in our midst. And you wait. You call out and you wait. Jesus said, if you are, as a father will give good gifts to your children, won't the, Holy, won't the God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? Ask him. Now, would you glorify yourself? Would you glorify the Son by pouring out afresh upon me and upon us your Holy Spirit? that we might experience the ministry and the reality of God dwelling in us and among us. Don't you long for that? Believer, aren't you hungry for that? 
Aren't you ready for that reality to eclipse the sad reality of this world that we live in? Aren't you ready for that reality to pour in you and through you so that your family and friends and neighbors would see the glory and the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ? Haven't you seen that you and I lack the ability to do that to people? We can convince people to come to church with us and to agree to maybe certain sets of doctrine, but we cannot make a person see the beauty and the reality that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. We cannot cause someone to be born again. Only God and his spirit can do that, and he longs to do it. The God of Acts, the God of Jesus Christ, is our God today. Why would we settle for a second or third-rate Christianity, off-brand Christianity, that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof? Why would we accept that? Why would we be okay with powerless Christian lives? Why would we be okay with our family and friends not seeing him in his beauty and his glory? Why would we be okay with lives that are fruitless or bear little fruit? When he has said, I, have, I am sending to you the promise of the Father. It's to your benefit that I go away. That I pour out my Holy Spirit in you and among you that my kingdom might be established, that my church might be seen as glorious because the God who indwells the church is glorious. I think, brothers and sisters, I'm going to end. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't see anything more important in life than us counting the cost and calling out to God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us afresh. What could be worth more than that? God bless your 401k. It is worthless a million years from now. It might support you 20 years from now. I'm all for that, but it is worthless a million years from now. God bless the new paint, the new coat of paint that you need to put into your living room and all the other improvements that you need to make in your home, God bless it. God bless your career. God bless all those things. But man, let's put the first things first. For the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. And for our joy. I'm going to pray and we're going to open up uh, communion for all you who are believers in Christ. It's open. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Broken for you, shed for your sins. If you profess faith in him, uh, whenever the two stations come up here, one on either side, come on the outside, receive the bread and juice, receive Head back to your seats, and then Tad will come forward and lead us in communion afterwards. If you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, bow your knee to him today. Confess.
repent and return to him. Father, we thank you for the glories of Christ, for the glories of the salvation that you have purchased for us in Christ, for the reality that you have come and invaded our darkness and you dwell in us and among us. Uh, God, what I'm asking you is that you would make that real to us. God, that you would pour out your spirit upon us afresh and anew. That you might be glorified. As for your son's name, it's in his name we make this request.